before I get started with this series, I do want to let you know that I might make you mad. So uh, you know that now. Uh, if I make you mad, just realize that what I am saying is found in the Bible. All right. So if you're mad at me, what you're really mad at is probably yourself. Okay, because you're not living to it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding on that. But seriously, this next two weeks, uh, I might say something that might get you a little upset. Uh, and I would encourage you not to get angry at me, but rather to study yourself uh, and study God's word and see if you agree with what uh, I'm saying about this. Uh, in the late 18th century, uh, there was this overwhelming sense in the Americas, uh, and it didn't just include the colonies that were the 13 colonies of Britain, but also the colonies all along the southern America as well. And it was this sense of freedom, this desire uh, to no longer be servants uh, to the European rulers that were ruling over them. Uh, for most of the Americas, they had uh, uh, traveled half a world away to start this new colony. They had uh, conquered a frontier and made it a modern society, if you will, at the day. Uh, and this, uh, they, they were tired of being taxed to pay for wars with people that they didn't even know anymore. Uh, and so it, took, it was about 150 years from the time they started to colonize until finally uh, the colonies in, in uh, America decided to revolt uh, and in 1776, we had the British colonies revolt. Uh, they established a new country called, yeah, America. No. The United States of America. We call it America or America if you're that one of those people. All right, and, uh, and, and for the last 240 years, it's been that long, 240 years, we have been building this great nation, right? All right we love this nation, a lot of us, hopefully all of us. Uh, we have a pride in this nation. We have freedom. And, it, and it's this freedom that we have that almost instinctively makes us want to go share that freedom with everybody else. Uh, and so we, we just have this desire to do that for some reason. And when I look at America, I am, I am a proud American. I love this country. And I want you guys to know that. I, I, I love being in this country. We have a great country. Right? But I also have to look at America with a separate lens. Because I think as Christians, we must recognize that uh, not only are we citizens of this nation, but we are citizens of another nation. Uh, we have a king who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And because he is there and his kingdom is not necessarily America, his kingdom expands beyond our national boundaries that we have established as human beings. We have to look at our nation through a Christian lens. And so what I want to do in these, these two sermons today and next week is look at how we as Christians should behave within a nation, whether that is the United States of America or whether that's Canada or your, your European nation, choose whichever one you want. Wherever you're at, I think as Christians, we have a duty and an obligation to live uh, with this uh, dual citizenship in mind. All right, and so today I want to talk about citizenship. Uh, next week I want to talk about allegiance, uh, and I hope that, that you will enjoy uh, what I'm talking about and, and take it to heart, because I think we need to live this way. Uh, today we're going to be looking at two different passages. Uh, the first one will be 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. Uh, the second passage, if you want to do a place marker, is going to be Romans chapter 13. All right, and so uh, we're going to do 1 Peter 2 first and then Romans 13 second. 
right, 1 Peter 2, uh, 1 Peter comes after the book of James, which comes after the book of Hebrews. All right, so if you're flipping, you'll probably come across James and Hebrews before you come across 1 Peter. And hopefully, I've given you enough time to figure out where 1 Peter is. Uh, 1 Peter is one of two letters that Peter writes, uh, and they are significant. Uh, Peter is a very, very good book. You should read it sometimes. Here's what he says, starting in verse 11 of chapter 2. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. All right, so this, is, uh, this, uh, this kind of starts off this entire section of Peter, and it goes all the way through, uh, halfway through chapter 3 of Peter. And so uh, to understand what he's about to say, we have to understand these first two verses. All right, so these first two verses, uh, Peter starts off talking about our status in the world. And our status in the world is that of people who are exiles and foreigners, all right, so this is what we have to understand. There is this dichotomy within us as Christians. On the one hand, we are citizens of the nations that we are living in. And whether that is for all of us here today, it is the United States as far as I know. All right, but it could be another nation. All right, this applies for all of Christendom. All right, and so we have this citizenship within the nation that we live, but at the same time, we are foreigners in this world. We have a citizenship that is not in America. We have a citizenship that is in heaven. And we're waiting for the day when that citizenship is revealed to all people. In the meantime, we have to live a certain way. And Peter, in this passage, he starts off by saying, you are foreigners and you are exiles, and because of that, you need to abstain from evil. You need to abstain from sin. You need to live such good lives that you are set apart from the rest of the world. And this goes along with pretty much everything that's in the New Testament and things that I've been talking to you about recently. We must, as Christians, be set apart from the world. We must be different. We must be so different that people look at us and they recognize there's a difference. It's Peter that will eventually say, you are to live your lives in such a way that people ask you, why are you so hopeful? And if they're not asking that questions, maybe you're not living such different lives. We, Peter says, need to be abstaining from evil that the rest of society is engaging in. And our world, it's engaging in a lot of evils. I mean, we see that. Sometimes we're even uh, amazed at the evil that's happening around us. And even though the pagans are living in it, we must not be. We must not act that way. We must be different. Now, the great thing about living in the country that we live in is we, uh, even though we have this dual citizenship, we have the ability to live both of them out freely. Now, we live in a country where we can gather on Sunday morning together, where we can worship the God we love and serve, where we can honor him uh, in the many ways that we honor him, and we can do it relatively freely. You know, it's a great thing to be here. And as Christians, we must recognize that we have an obligation in this country. You know, we have an obligation in November to go vote. As Christians, I know it, it seems daunting right now, 
I, I know that some people don't like either choice. Uh, there are other choices, all right? But we have an obligation, even if we don't like who's being put before us, to go and to vote, right? We must do that, right? It's part of who we are as Christians. We are to live our lives in everything we do as Americans. And the way we vote, we should do it with a Christian lens in sight. And the way Maybe you run for office, and the way you run for office, you should do it with a Christian lens in sight. And if you ever get elected to public office, you should live your life as a Christian in public office. I know we look at a lot of our politicians that claim to be Christians, and we're like, really? You know, it happens. That's not how it should be. As we are living our lives in the world, we need to abstain from evil no matter what part of the government we're a part of, whether we're voters or whether we're actually a part of it. And then Peter, in this passage, these first two verses, he alludes to something that's been happening in the Roman Empire. See, the Roman Empire, in general, didn't like Christianity. They didn't like Christians. And it really stemmed from something that was happening with the Jews. You see, the Jews... uh, the Jews were not always the easiest to get along with. See, the Jews, when they came under the Roman rule, they, they hated it. Uh, and so they did everything in their ability to, to break away from the Romans. They did it so many times and so often and had such an air of superiority with themselves that in AD 70, when they finally did defeat a couple of Roman legions, the Roman Empire just came in and said, well, we're done with you guys. And they just basically crushed them all destroyed Jerusalem, killed as many rebels as they could, and left the Jewish religion in in a very bad state. And for the average Roman citizen, when they looked at a Jew and they looked at a Christian, they didn't see much of a difference. For them, a lot of them, Christianity was just an offshoot of Judaism. And so Peter, he's writing this, and he's wanting to make sure that all of his Christian brethren understand that there is a different way to live than the way the Jews did. And if there was a Jewish Christian, this was going to be a hard pill to swallow. You're saying, Peter, that I have to live such good lives that they're amazed by it. And Peter's going to say some things, other things here that, that they're not going to really like. See, the, the, the Jewish people, they were so ready for the Messiah and so ready for him to establish his kingdom that they just ignored the Roman Empire. And it was not a good thing. And the Roman Empire, they disliked Christianity. when Christianity taught that the Roman gods were not gods at all, and they were encouraging their people that were converting to Christianity to abstain from all those worships of other gods for good reasons, right? All right, so they were doing that, but it caused problems. And we see some of the problems in Acts chapter 19. When in Ephesus, the silversmiths started to lose business. Their main business was making idols of their patron goddess. And when people became Christians and stopped buying idols, then they lost their sale of idols. And it got to the point where they began to riot against the Christians. It happened in other cities. When bad things happened in those cities, and there was a good population of Christians, they were blamed for it. So an earthquake happens. Who got blamed for it? Oh, yeah, the Christians. There was a flood. You know whose fault it was that there was a flood? It was because of the Christians. 
And so what Peter is alluding here is the fact that the Roman citizenship blamed Christians for all of their problems. And he's saying you are to live such good lives in the midst of all these accusations that when they come to you and they say it's your fault, they still can't say that you're a bad person. Ironically, I see some of this today. A couple weeks ago, uh, there was a shooting in Orlando in a a gay uh, party place. And what's the club? Thank you. (laughs) It it went went that way. Uh, So a gay club. Uh, A lot of people died. Bad thing. And there were some media outlets that were suggesting that the reason why this was allowed to happen was because Christianity was so hated, so much hated gay people that they almost encouraged this type of thing to happen. Now, how many of you here, and you can raise your hand in this safe place, would say you need to go shoot gay people? Well, no one says that. It's not what we as Christians have ever said. There might be people like one family at the Westboro Baptist Church that does, but beyond that, no, no Christian does that. And yet we're blamed for this. So how are we to live in the midst of this society that even now is starting to turn this way? Well, Peter says, you are to live such good lives that even though they may hate you and may hate your teachings, they cannot say that you are a bad person. That if, in fact, they look at your life and they said, even though I disagree with what you believe in, you are a good person. All right, so that's, that's the basis for what Peter is going to talk about in the next couple of uh, sections. All right, and, and Peter is going to, he starts off with this, you are to live such good lives that even the pagans are amazed at it. And then he's going to say, okay, here's examples of how this plays out. And he'll talk about husbands, and he'll talk about wives, and he'll talk about slaves, and he'll say, this is how you live such good lives in that role. All right? But then he also talks about something that we're going to study, and that starts in verse 13. And it's talking about how we live with the government. And this is what he says. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether that is the emperor as the supreme authority or as governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. And so really what this starts off in verse 13 is really an outflow of what he's been talking about in 11 and 12. All right, if you are living such good lives amongst the pagans that they're amazed at it and they glorify God, then this is what it looks like when it comes to how you act with the government. And he starts off by saying, submit to it. The word submission is a very interesting word in the New Testament. It does not mean obedience. Although obedience is a sign of submission. Good way of looking at this is where it appears in Luke chapter 2. Uh, in Luke chapter 2, uh, we see Jesus is a 12-year-old boy, and he's being asked by his parents to go to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And he goes with them, and they celebrate the Passover, and his parents begin to come home. Now, they lose Jesus. Now, they aren't bad parents because they traveled as a group. It wasn't a single unit, family unit that traveled 
on vacation. It was an entire town going together. And so they just assumed that Jesus was with everybody else. But then they start to notice, hey, Jesus isn't here. And they figure out that Jesus is back in Jerusalem. So they go back. They find Jesus. Jesus is in the temple. They ask him to come home. And at the very end of Luke chapter 2, it says that Jesus submitted himself to his parents. The word here isn't necessarily obedience, but it does mean that we subject ourselves to the authority of someone else. And obedience is a sign of this. All right, Jesus, the, the master of the universe, the creator of the world, subjects himself willingly to his parents. And in the same sense, we are to subject ourselves to the government. Submit to all authority. All right, it's, a, it's an attitude that the Jews did not do. I remember the Jews were constantly rebelling over and over again. It was because they believed a Messiah was coming to set up an earthly kingdom who would break away the chains of the Roman Empire. But then when the Messiah came, he didn't do that, did he? Jesus did not establish an earthly kingdom. He established a spiritual kingdom, a kingdom that transcends genders and social class and nations. And that is the kingdom that we belong to. And even though we belong to that kingdom, we must submit to the kingdom we're under on earth. And we must remember what, what Peter is talking about here. He is saying submit to a form of government that is way different than our form of government. Their form of government was authoritarianism. All right? It means that whoever was on top, they, whatever they said went. So if it was the emperor, the extreme authoritarian in this situation, if he said something, you were to submit to it. If it was the governor of this province you were a part of, and he says to do something, Peter says submit. If he was writing to us, we have a little bit different form of society, right? We, we have a democratic republic. We vote in our representatives. Right? We are a people governed by the people. And, and we, uh, if Peter was writing to us, I think he would still say this, submit, but I think he'd also say cooperate with it. I think it's a Christian duty for us to cooperate with our governments, to vote, to go out and run for offices. And if there's a law that is made by the government, to submit to it. And that can be tough. You know, there's a lot of laws that we don't, as Christians, necessarily think are just laws. And if they're not just laws, we are still to submit to it. But the great thing about this country is we can work to change the laws. And I think that should be our duty as Christians as well. So we must submit. And he's talking about a form of government that is way worse. And he's talking about an emperor that does not compare to any president we've had. The emperor that Peter is talking about that we are as Christians to submit to was Nero. And Nero, he was good in one sense. He established a great economy. He spread the, the control of the Roman Empire in the world. But he was a corrupt emperor as well. Very corrupt. One of the worst. He, he wanted to build a, a new complex in a part of Rome that had a bunch of uh, dwellings. They were like poor people, okay? And so he went to them and he asked to buy their houses, and they said no. And he, he didn't want to be told no, so you know what Nero did? He lit it on fire. 
They watched it burn for five days. And after it all burned, the houses weren't no longer an issue because they weren't there. And the people were no longer an issue because a lot of them were dead. And so he built his complex there. And when the people began to blame Nero for the issues, for the fire that started, he went out and he got a couple of Christians. And he beat them to the point where they finally had confessed to setting fire that they didn't set. And Nero said, it wasn't me, it was the Christians. And he started rounding up all the Christians in Rome. And he would have these garden parties at night. And he would take these Christians and he would put them on a pole, set them in the ground high in the air. They covered them with oil, still alive. And he would set them on fire and light his garden parties at night. And Peter says, submit to the emperor. No matter what you think about one party or the other, they are nothing compared to Nero. And if Peter says we are to submit to Nero, then we are to submit to whoever's in charge. That can be hard, can't it? Especially when we don't like the person or agree with their policies. But we are to submit, to willingly place ourselves under their authority. Well, Peter gives us the practical on how uh, Paul in Romans chapter 13 is going to give us some theology I think is necessary. Uh, so Romans 13, uh, Peter will, will give us uh, the theological backing to why we are to submit. And he says this, starting in verse 1. He says, let everyone be subject. He uses the same word that Peter uses. All right, it's just translated subject here in submission uh, in, in 1 Peter 2. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will, be bring, will, will bring judgment on themselves. All right, so Peter starts off using the same word submit, same word submit to the governments, and then he gives us some of the theology. As a theology that we find throughout the Bible, as a theology on how governments get their powers. And according to Peter, Paul here, he says that the reason why governments have the power they have is because God gives them that power. God has ordained governments to be the extent that they have and to hold sway over the, the people that they hold sway over. We see this in the Old Testament. We see it in the book of Judges. When the Israelites turn away from God and God says, okay, since you've turned away, here is a people group, a nation, who now has control over you. And it happens over and over and over again. And God gives them power and he takes away power. And he gives them power and he takes away power. We see it happen when the Assyrians come and they conquer the northern tribe of Israel. And we see it when the Babylonians come and they conquer the, the southern nation of Judah. And we see when the Persians come in and conquer the Babylon. And throughout it all, God says, I give them that power and I take it away because of their evil. And in the New Testament, it's the Romans. They have power over Christians and over the Jewish nation because God has ordained them to have that power. In our lives, the reason why we live under this country and the reason why they have power over us is because God has ordained them to have that power. And however long we exist as a nation, 
however much authority we have in the world, it is all done by the will and the grace of God. And we have to keep that in mind. And then Paul says something that, that for me is very hard as an American. Because he says in, in verse 2 here, if you rebel, you get judgment put upon you. And as a Christian, as an American, this is tough, right? Because how did we establish our nation from England? Oh yeah, we rebelled. And I find myself in a really difficult place personally. And this is something that I think you guys all have to struggle with on your own. Because if, if I read this straightforward, if you rebel, you will bring judgment upon yourselves. That's tough because I'm proud of what my forefathers did. The, 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 the British government, they were oppressive. And we all know the stories, the, the intolerable acts, the stamp acts, all these things that were oppressive upon our people. And we just were fed up and we rebelled. And it was glorious. They had a tea party for it, right? And we were happy. And we celebrate it. But Paul says, don't rebel. And in the revolutionary time period, there were three groups of people. You really only hear about two of them. One was the loyalists, those who wanted to stay with England. Those, and then the patriots, the ones who were like, woohoo, yeah, right? They were the ones that separated. But there was a third group that we don't really talk too much about. And I honestly believe I would fall in this group. And it's the group that didn't really like Britain, but also read verses like this and said, you know, I don't know if I religiously can rebel against them. And you know what happened to that group? They were persecuted by both the loyalists and the patriots. I think that's where I would be. And the only way as an American Christian that I can read this passage in any way feel comfortable with my heritage is this, is if maybe if I change this a little bit to make it about attitudes. The Jewish attitude at the time was that of constant rebellion. And maybe what Paul is encouraging here is not necessarily uh, the rise of a new nation, which is probably ordained by God because that's what we know about governments. All right? But maybe what he's talking about is the attitude of people. And is your attitude one of rebellion against the authority? Now, we know people like that, right? Who don't like whatever is going on, and so they just are going to do whatever they want to do. And they don't willingly submit themselves. Maybe, maybe what Paul is talking about is your lifestyle. Are you living in submission or are you living in rebellion? And those are your two options. And so maybe, maybe that's what Paul is talking about here. I don't know. Like I said, it's a tough verse for me. Paul continues in verse 3, he says, For rulers hold no terror over those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of those who are in authority? Then do what is right and you will be committed. He says the same thing Peter is saying. Live your lives in such good ways that you do not have to fear the governments. Because if you're submitting to the governments and you're following their laws, you don't have to be afraid. Be subject to the governments because they are God's agents. Verse 4, he says, For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. 
For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoers. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. And Peter is still, Paul is still talking about this idea of submitting because the government is there because God has said it will be there. They're his agents. And yes, they don't always follow the book that we follow. And yes, they're not always godly in their acts, but they are God's agents. And we're to submit to them. Do we do this? Really, I think what Paul is trying to get across is why we submit. We do not submit because the government is special. We do not submit because the government holds this high place in our lives. We submit because God is the one who ordained the government. And in our acts as Christians, choosing to follow God, choosing to follow Christ, we submit to God. And in submitting to God, we must also submit to the government. I think that is what he's trying to get across. And this submission plays in all aspects that the government has in our lives. Even in the one thing we don't really like, right? Taxes. How many likes taxes? Well, here's what Paul says about taxes in verse 6. He says, this is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants which give their full time in governing. And Paul says we, in our submission to the government, ought to pay our taxes. And the system that Paul is talking about is a very bad system. Tax system in the Roman Empire, basically the tax collector came up to you and he said, yeah, you owe taxes today, you owe me whatever he felt like. There was a certain amount he had to get, and he could ask for the minimum, but then he didn't get paid. So it really depended upon his attitude. Did he like you? Did you fight with him the other day? Did he just get married? Did he just have a baby? Maybe he's in a good spirit and he doesn't go, he's not going to charge anybody. Maybe he had a fight with his wife before he went to work. You're in trouble then. It was a very not fair system at all. And Paul says, pay taxes. Jesus said something similar in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22, there's a bunch of questions that are asked of Jesus to try to trap him and get his people that are following him to fall away. And one of the questions that they ask is, hey, should we pay taxes? And, 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 and Jesus, if he says, yes, pay taxes, then, then all the Jews that are wait, trying to get, break away from the, the Roman control, they're going to just leave Jesus. And if he says, don't pay taxes, then he's going to be tried as a rebel and, and killed. And so Jesus, he comes in the middle and he says, all right, whose picture is on the coin? If I ask you that today, whose picture is on the coin, the dollar bill, the, 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 the quarter? It's not Jesus. In Jesus' time, it was Caesar. He says, it belongs to Caesar. Give it to him. That's our attitude towards taxes. Submits. It's theirs anyways. Give to Caesar what is Caesar. This idea of submission must uh, be, be uh, also understood with this one last idea. Submission does not necessarily mean obedience. 
right? And this is, this is kind of a tough thing because when we think submit, we automatically think obedient, right? All right, but submission does not mean obedience. Blind obedience is not submitting. And we see uh, even in this idea of submitting to the government, that doesn't mean we have to always obey. Uh, a great example is found throughout the entire book of Daniel. Daniel were introduced to four guys who are taken from their country, taken to Babylon, told to work for the Babylonian king, and they do it. They willingly place themselves under the rule of the Babylonian king, and yet they don't always obey him. They are submissive, but when they're asked to bow down and worship an idol, they don't do that. And when they're asked to pray to the king alone and no other gods, they don't do that either. And in our lives, when we look at our country, we must be submissive to it, but recognize that when they ask us to do something that is sinful, we should not obey it. I think Acts chapter uh, 5 verse 22 is a good summation of this. It says, we must obey God rather than man. And what's happening here is, is, is the apostles are being brought before the authorities of their day, the, the religious leaders. And the religious leaders are saying, do not talk about Jesus. And their response is, we must obey God rather than man. And while they were willingly subjecting themselves, willingly coming to them for judgment, they were not obedient. This is where it gets tough. Because I think as Christians, we are called to be model citizens. We are called to live in this nation as submissive people, obeying the laws of the land, willingly placing ourselves under whatever uh, governing authority is there, whether they're the judges, whether they're the police officers, whether they're the governors, whether they're the president of the United States. We are to subject ourselves to them, to submit to them. But when they ask us to do things that are not biblically correct and that will cause us to sin, we are not to obey them. It's a tough place to be in in a lot of ways. I think what these passages are trying to get across is as Christians, people should look at us and should be amazed at what we're doing. Be amazed that even though we live in a society that is completely against Christianity, we're still living the best possible lives ever. And I think when we live that life, when we submit to the government, when we submit to the laws of the land, I believe it shows the type of witness we have. Because when we're going up to people and we're telling them about Jesus, and we're saying, you need to submit to Jesus' rule in your life, and yet they look at our lives and they see that we are not willing to submit to the authority that's above us, how can they trust us? I think when we're talking about submitting to the government, we're talking about our witness being pure. And for some of us, maybe it's hard to submit. Maybe we don't like what's going on. And if you haven't been living a life of submission, but rather a lifestyle of rebellion, maybe you need to look at this passage again. Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you've been living your lives in such blind obedience to the governments that you have 
fallen into sin because they've commanded it to be. And if that's you, you need to repent. Because when it comes down to it, God is our ultimate authority, not the president, not Congress, not anybody else. God is. And we must obey God rather than men. I think Peter sums it up very well when he says at the very end of that passage we read today, show the proper respect to all men, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. And I think if you do those four things, you will be doing what Peter and Paul talked about when they talked about submitting to the authorities and the governments. Let us be those people. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you establish nations, that you give them power to rule over us, over people. Lord, we're grateful that you have provided agents to keep order in many cases. And I pray, God, that no matter what is happening in our world, whatever is happening in our nation, that we as Christians, that we as Americans can be people submitting ourselves, subjecting ourselves to those who are in charge. Not because they deserve it, but because you are worthy of it. And out of our love for you, we do this. I pray for those that may be struggling with this today and whatever life they're living. I pray that you give them the strength to see the importance of submission. I ask these things in your name. Amen.